1: Learn more at marines.com. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest-growing TV brand. It's
2: Purple Daily. We spent a lot of time with it. Um, spent a lot of time the last couple days on fundamentals, reteaching, uh, you know, things that we, we feel are important uh, going forward in these last five ballgames.
1: That was Minnesota Vikings head coach Mike Zimmer there focusing on the fundamentals, as does my co-host for the first hour of the show, Brian Murphy, who cannot fundamentally figure out how to work his headphones.
2: Oh, I can figure out how to work them. The headphones don't work. I know uh, exactly where to plug them in. First time it's ever been an issue. It's uh, <laughs> There's a big pile of them
1: over in the corner. I grabbed the wrong one. I can hear everybody fine, though. Okay, I'm good. Okay, that's great. If you need a second. no. Uh, all right. Um, so lots to talk about on the show today and an hour two, Sage Rosenfels and I are going to get together with Jay Fiedler for a journeyman quarterback party. Mm. It gets no better (laughs) than that. Uh, and if you don't remember, even though you should, Jay Fiedler was part of the 1998 Vikings team. And so he's going to talk, uh, in our hour two, we're going to ask him about playing with Randy Moss. And I dug up a quote that I want to give to Jay Fiedler, where Randy Moss is praising Jay Fiedler. Which I think is awesome. Like, if if Randy Moss was praising me, if he said, like, yeah, man, he's got a great show, he does a great job, I would frame that forever and be like, Randy Moss said I was great at my job. When was that? What week? What context? That was when Fiedler took over for Dan Marino, and someone went and asked Randy Moss, like, hey, did you like practicing with Jay Fiedler? And he said, yeah, he's smart and he's accurate, and I liked him. And he said something about how he was quiet, as if that would be, like, a big... Benefit, Like, yeah, he didn't say much as the backup quarterback. So good for him. Good for you, Jay Fiedler. So we're going to go through that with him and what it was like to play with Randy Moss uh, to some extent in the 98 Vikings. But here's where I wanted to start, Murph, is I started thinking today as I was out at TCO Performance Center and Cousins is talking and Cook is talking and Diggs and Zimmer. I started thinking about the two worlds that we could potentially live in by Tuesday of next week. World A is the Vikings beat the Seattle Seahawks. And world B is they lose to the Seattle Seahawks. That's pretty bold. And I think, I know, well, ties do happen. But I don't think there's a tie in this world that I'm envisioning. So, okay, yes, those are clearly the two possible outcomes. I am aware of that. But I think that a lot of times, if you win a game, if you lose a game, okay, well, you're still in playoff position. You're moving on. All right, no big deal. Uh, You could survive that. They lost to Chicago. It didn't change everything about the season and their potential outlook when they lost to Chicago. Uh, or even Kansas City. They were still right in uh, a way that they could go make the playoffs and so forth. I think the way we feel about the Minnesota Vikings, if they win or if they lose this game, is massively different. Is a completely different stratosphere from each other. And if they win it, Murph, I think we're talking about this team has the potential to go deep in the playoffs.
2: They certainly have the potential to run the table, I think, at that point. And then you're looking at the NFC North. A loss, though, and you're pretty much staring at a wild card, probably the last wild card position, and probably a road game, are you not? Because you still, you know, then, then it sets up, well, you got Green Bay at home, that's your toughest test. But I think they're going to, there's... I think from a confidence standpoint, I think from a perception standpoint, and again from a productivity standpoint, again we're it's going to all come down to number eight again, right? We're going to redefine him again by about midnight on Monday. Yes. We will yes. be redefining Kirk Cousins uh-huh. for the tenth time this season and making our our snap judgments, our long term judgments. And our what were they thinking? Judgments, right? Depending on whatever he does and how he performs in another primetime
1: game. You are absolutely right that we do reevaluate Kirk Cousins after every single game, and we should. And I don't. I, I don't position. think that's unfair. Yes. And and this year has been super unique, and and this is why Seattle matters so much. Because Kirk Cousins is one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL this year. No denying that. And and normally that would come along with one of the best quarterbacks, but kind of like 12th best. And I've said that many times. And if you were just ranking them by who you'd take for one game, you probably don't put them in your top five. Probably don't put them in your top seven. But just based on pure performance, just the numbers, what pro football focus says, what his quarterback rating says... Pro Football Focus has him right now as third in the NFL. Overall. All quarterbacks. The only two better, Russell Wilson, Lamar Jackson. Yes, Right behind him, Dak Prescott, Tom Brady, Deshaun Watson. And that is a pretty darn good ballpark to be in for Kirk Cousins. And I can understand why people would think... Well, this isn't for real. We went through this with Case Keenum just a couple of years ago where he had all these great numbers. I think he finished Pro Football Focus like seventh. They were top ten in scoring. And then when you got to the playoffs, you got exposed. And it would be natural. We're going to talk with Sam Monson uh, for Pro Football Focus about this in about a half an hour. It would be natural to wonder, is it going to be exposed at some point because he isn't the third best quarterback in the NFL? If you beat Seattle... It's not getting exposed. This is their offense, and this is how well their quarterback is playing this year.
2: The one stat I've been pounding on the last couple of weeks, and this is, I think, both you know, you can, you can, the tr- traditional statistics, he's in the top field, the pro football drill down statistics. He's obviously making a lot of progress and making a name for himself there as a, an elite quarterback this mm-hmm. year. But the one that stands out to me that really defines what has happened with his resurgence, and I think how fans are rethinking and buying in. 18 touchdown passes, one interception since the Chicago lost Soldier yep. Field and that one interception bounced off the face mask <laughs> of Stefan Diggs into the hand of the defender. So, look at that stretch right there and you can't tell me that that's not clutch play. And and that does not and that that does not convince you that Kirk Cousins is the quarterback that they invested 84 million dollars in prudently. And- now, that being said, by midnight on Monday, all of that doesn't matter, right? right. Potentially. Because, potentially. Potentially.
1: Yes, if they if they lose and I want to get to that world in a second. But living in the they-win world, more likely than not, that means Cousins played really well. Because you know Russell Wilson against this defense is going to score some points. I don't think it's going to go like it did last year, where the Vikings defense shut down Russell Wilson and then Cousins no-showed. I think this yes. is probably the opposite game. This one could be a shootout, much like what we saw against Dallas when he beats Dak Prescott and he plays really well. Prescott lights up the Vikings defense as Quarterbacks have done more often this year than they ever have during Mike Zimmer. But you're probably talking about another couple of touchdowns, probably not picks, probably not fumbles. His ability to reduce the turnovers this year and be so consistent from week to week Aside from a half against Kansas City, aside from a Bears game, a half against Denver, I mean, at that point, it feels like we're nitpicking to say, well, he hasn't been good in this one half or this one quarter or whatever. If we're getting to that point with a quarterback, you know he's been really, really good. And in the world where he wins, we are talking about his MVP potential. We are talking about this team as having a quarterback this year, not In 2025 or whatever, if he's extended, and not whether this could be sustainable from year to year to year if they lose Stefanski, but only in the bubble of this year where the notch to me turns up from a lot of people are lukewarm on this team. And I think that that's fair. You're coming off a game where you were down 20 to the Denver Broncos who last week scored three in Buffalo. They're not a good team. They're going to bench Brandon Allen, and that guy put up 23 points on you. Uh, even despite throwing an interception in the end zone i mean i mean that that's not a great sign for you and there have been other times where it's the no show sort of look from this team there are weaknesses that they have so if if you're skeptical i totally understand that and i would be in that category as well a win here takes us sort of the same place that the vikings took us when they beat los angeles at home in 2017 where you were skeptical is this case keenum thing really going to work i don't know you beat the Rams at home in that 24-7 to game, and then all of a sudden everybody was all in. Okay, now you're a Super Bowl contender. I would feel the same way about this. I would feel that, at least for this year, Kirk Cousins has the magic around him. I don't know how long it will last for his entire career, but he definitely does this year. And I will walk away feeling like, yeah, we need to start putting this team in the Super Bowl contender conversation if they beat Seattle.
2: And I think overall, I think the Vikings have a lot to answer for from that debacle last year in Seattle as a club, yeah. as yes. a club, because they allowed Russell Wilson, granted they played well defensively, but they allowed Russell Wilson to take over the game with his legs. And offensively, yes. they were just non-existent. I mean, it got their offensive coordinator fire. John Filippo, was obviously canned right after that game. Right. Um, cousins didn't show up, didn't, didn't didn't make the plays that needed to be made. And that essentially robbed them of their playoff berth. I mean, the loss at home to Chicago you know, that officially did it, but I think their season died out at Centering Link Field. So, yes, you know, you're not going to, you know, again, pros a year later aren't going to say, well, you know, the revenge factor. I I don't view it as revenge. I think it's more atonement. I think you need to go out there and afford yourself uh, well and play against an elite quarterback, an elite team in a very tough environment. If you don't come away with the victory, you handicap. You don't lose yourself this season. You handicap yourself. But again, how do they perform? How do they answer for that? Because that was a one-sided loss last year, and that essentially ended their season and cost John DiFilippo his job and, and put, the, put more
1: uh, weight on Mike Zimmer's shoulders that he's still carrying right now. And at that point, I think I would have told you, this Cousins thing is not going to work. Yes. A- at that People part, were saying that. He turned around and threw a ball backwards to Latavius Murray overhand, which I don't think I've ever seen a quarterback ever do before. When Adam Thielen was wide open, he was so shook in that game. Well, he was he was pounded pretty good that game, too. He, he was hit hard. They didn't run the ball very well, I believe, but from the very start, you went, oh no, it's a Monday night football game. Here's Kirk doing that Kirk thing again against Russell Wilson. Even when Wilson's not playing well, like you mentioned, he found a way to win the game, which is the issue that they've had with Cousins so many times, is that he just doesn't find a way to win the game. And that's where he can shift the entire Feeling about him because if you're a Vikings fan who's still skeptical on Cousins, I can totally understand that. And I'm not even, I wouldn't even disagree with that at this moment. But if he can beat Dak Prescott and Russell Wilson in the same season on the road, in a short short stretch, yeah, on the road, both of those games, then you have to start saying, "I, I don't care about the big picture here with Cousins. Of course, you would take Russell Wilson a thousand times out of a thousand for the next five years over Kirk Cousins. But in the small picture, With this offense, with this offensive coordinator, with Delvin Cook playing the way he's playing, with Adam Thielen potentially coming back, we'll see. Um, Not practicing today, which is concerning. But with all the weapons they have, Irv Smith has stepped up, that this version of Cousins can do these things that we've said he's never capable of doing. Now, the other world is they lose. And I think once they lose, what comes into your mind is, you really only beat Dallas because they ran twice senselessly at the end of the game and hurt themselves and didn't score. You only really beat Denver because the guy didn't get it in the end zone from the one yard line. And well, Kirk has all these great stats, but that looks like the same Kirk to me. I I can't think of another game Murph that has such a wide gap between how everyone would feel about a team. If they go out there and no show do what they did last year and come up short and lose, think we're even going to say, well, you know, this offensive coordinator can only do so much for the quarterback. It does kind of rest on him, but it probably also means that Zimmer's defense gets lit up again.
2: Uh, That's where I was going to head next. That defense has been so suspect and so soft on the back end this season. Um they are going to go out there and get tested again and it should be concerning i didn't see the official injury report today did harrison smith practice
1: uh they have not put it out yet but harrison smith and anthony harris appear to both be limited so their chances are decent linval joseph uh, joseph was practicing okay
2: so they're getting uh getting they're chipping away at it a little bit yep. but again we're talking a hamstring with harrison smith not who great. does nothing but rove back there uh that that bears watching all week long um yes that that to me, you know, we're we're always going to scrutinize and, and follow and and harp on cousins, but defensively they've got to find a way to stop Russell Wilson both running running it down their throat as he did last year with a couple mm-hmm. of huge big time plays. Yep, uh, he also threw an awful interception at one point too, but he found ways to pull the ball down as he does. Yep, and make plays when it needed to happen and win a game. I mean, he won the game for the Seattle Seahawks by coming up with big plays on a Mike Zipper defense that last year was statistically much better than the one that they're putting out there this year and the one that you can almost see melting a bit before your eyes. I mean, uh, Xavier Rhodes, uh, we we talk about him every week. He's now targeted. Mike Mm -hmm. Hughes, you know, granted he's a year behind in his development and he's shown flashes, um, but Dallas picked on him. Denver picked on him. I think Seattle's going to be picking on him until he can find a way to demonstrate Uh, he's able
1: to defend uh, up to par. So under the category of what if they lose, you're probably walking out of that game saying, I'm sorry, you just can't do it in the playoffs. Uh, Defensively, even. Because we'll we'll, we'll say that about Kirk, even if he plays fairly well. Well, you lost another game in primetime. But it's also probably going to be the conversation of, look who you're going to play in the playoffs. Look who the other quarterbacks are. You're going to be on the road. Right. Drew Brees is one of the best of all time. Wilson is an MVP potential this year. Rodgers may be washed, but he's still good. And then Dak, Dak Prescott, which, another guy who's playing like an MVP and already almost threw for 400 yards against you. How are you going to beat several of those guys to get and, to the Super Bowl? It won't seem possible if Wilson lights them up.
2: Uh, I I could see them maybe. Now, Garoppolo and San Francisco, you keep giving up on them, and then all they do is just keep kind of getting better and coming back and yep. stacking up more wins. I still don't view... Uh, Levi Stadium is the most formidable place to play I think You know because your weather's probably not going to come Into play it's not that intimidating At least not yet Granted the Vikings did well in Dallas But you don't want to be going to Lambeau in January You don't want to be going back out to Seattle um, And you don't want to be going to the Superdome At any time so you are Putting yourself in danger Of uh, Having a an awful path to yes. get to where you want to be yep. Yep. with a loss,
1: and you just don't see it very often that teams can go all the way through after starting out as the wild card or on the road. I think the Giants did it, and they might have been the last team to do it. Um, I, I know that uh, I mean, the Jags so,
2: got to the title game, so um, the
1: Rams. Ended up winning in the Superdome, got a little help from the uh, referees last year. But aside from that, most of the time it's somebody who gets home field. And if you're the Vikings, that's why these final five games are so important, and especially this one, because it's a huge swing for where you could end up playing. And I've been toying around with the, uh, the playoff machine here and trying to figure out different scenarios where the Vikings, like, what the best situation they could be in. And if you can't get to the two seed, which is possible because New Orleans has a really tough schedule and so does San Francisco, but if you can't get to the number 1 or 2 seed, um, you could definitely be number 5 and be going to Dallas to play them again there, which with their head coach, I think you'd feel pretty good about. But if you don't win this one, you're kind of locked into that sixth seed, Mm -hmm. which means more likely than not, you're going to play Green Bay on the road, Eh, that's not something you love. I mean, it's doable, but it isn't something you love. And then if Green Bay plays well, New Orleans slides back, you're talking about going there. I mean, it has a huge swing in many ways, but I think the biggest is just how you would feel about them.
2: Well, and, and if they win, the schedule that they have in the regular season is all downhill. I mean, you've got Detroit and Chicago at home. You have Green Bay which would be tough, but then you're going out to L.A. to play the Chargers. I mean, it's not exactly this is the end of that gauntlet that they've been walking through since Kansas City, right? Yep, yep. So if you can get out of that with victories at Kansas, uh, at Dallas and at Seattle, you know, you, you escape Denver at home, you take three out of four from, you know, the death march, so to speak, and you come out, you've got, now you've got Detroit, which is mailing it in, you've got Green Bay at home, which, you know, rivalry game, it's tough to win. In, or tough, it's It'll be tough for Green Bay to come in here with any kind of edge in that yes. game. And then you're wrapping up against Chicago, which I don't know what the stakes will be in that game at that point. The seedings may already be determined. Um, but then again, you're looking at avenging an ugly week four loss that could have really mm-hmm. defined your season and avenging last year's week 17 loss that ended it.
1: Yeah. And so I guess if you were looking for a positive of potentially losing to Seattle, the only one would be that you're probably going to end up locked into the sixth seed at that point. And so when you get to week 17, you could rest people, but that's really not the silver lining you're looking for. You're looking for a bye week in the first round of the playoffs. If you accomplish that, you've got a great chance of going to the Super Bowl. If you win the NFC North, you get a home playoff game. You've got a great chance of winning a playoff game. And even if our feelings on Cousins change in this team in general about how they can perform against great teams, um, no one's going to buy Cousins or think that this was a success, no matter what his numbers are, no matter what his PFF grade is, if you lose in the playoffs. It's really that simple with Cousins, and it's unfortunate because it's not fair to anybody to say we're really going to grade you on just this one game, but when you sign the contract that you sign and take over a team with this level of talent, You're paid that's to win what it's these games, about. And that's why there's still skepticism around Cousins. I mean, you beat Dallas, that was a good win. They're 6-5. and It's not the greatest win I've ever seen. This would be the legit win. This would be the signature one, the one where you could look back and say, okay, that's the one that made me believe that they could actually go somewhere. I think Cousins needs it, too, because I'm sure that there's the same feeling within the team that there is outside of the team. And even when we were talking to Rick Spielman before the bye week break, it was kind of like, yeah, we're really happy with the way the coaching staff is done, and and Kirk's played pretty well. And so there wasn't this like, yeah, he showed all you type of attitude, which the Vikings do not usually ever hesitate to have. Um, but it's a little bit of like cautious optimism on Cousins. That's why he needs this one, I, I think. This is why he needs this one pretty badly because if he doesn't get it, then it's mm, probably a first round out is where I would put them. So let me ask you another question because uh, in a few minutes we got Sam Monson coming up. Mm-hmm. Zimmer talked today about the fundamentals and <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Football. OTAs. So in December or it's November. They get the bye week and you know what Zimmer was doing? He was in a tree stand somewhere in Kentucky yep. with his Alone. iPad breaking down tape and waiting for deer or something. Did
2: anybody ask him if he bagged anything?
1: Uh no. No. I mean, yeah. sort of a weird question. <laughs> uh anyway, so He's been great throughout his career at making adjustments on defense. They get lit up last year by Los Angeles and then they switch on a dime and all of a sudden have one of the best defenses in the NFL at the end of the year. Now, this year, whatever changes he's tried to make has not really worked with the secondary. They are 17th in quarterback rating against. We've seen even Case Keenum move the ball, Chase Daniels move the ball against them, Matt Moore move the ball against them. Now, if they can't get it fixed, would you put that on Zimmer not being able to work his magic again? Or would you put that simply on, well, these players have faded? Or would you put it on the front office and say, you guys really should have seen this coming?
2: I put it 75 25. Zimmer owns 75% of it, really? 25% okay. of the Interesting. players. Well, I think. You know, I I don't think they could have counted. Should they have counted on Xavier Rhodes regressing the way he yes. has? Why? Just because of
1: his age? No, because of last year. Because okay. because he was one what? of the tops in the NFL in penalties and one of the bottom in the NFL in Pro Football Focus grade last year. And then you add the age in there. If he was twenty two, you'd say, well, he'll probably bounce back. But he was twenty eight, and with big corners, I looked at this in the off season. Big corners don't always bounce back. And Darrell Rivas didn't bounce back. By the time Darrell Rivas was Xavier Rhodes' age, he was starting to fall off the side of the cliff.
2: Well, I think, but you're right. Zimmer's always found a way to patch it together. Yeah, He's found a way to, I think, emotionally and, and mentally uh, to turn players that maybe didn't believe them in themselves mm-hmm. into believers in themselves that could make plays. I mean, Andrew Zendejo really has, I never thought, had a lot of business being in the NFL. And suddenly he's he became a serviceable safety under mike zimmer who was able to find a job in philadelphia and zimmer rescued him again getting him back here so how does that you know there's a there's an example of somebody being transformed into an nfl player by a defensive back coach who was able to to take some raw talent mold him into just a basic role to get get production out of him trey waynes up and down uh can look Really good at times. Mm -hmm. Usually, Uh, though,
1: good quarterbacks realize that he can't play the ball, and they just throw
2: it at him anyway. And then Mike Hughes, again, who's a year behind in his development, um, has been exposed in the last several weeks as a rookie, essentially. A rookie with a rookie plus. Mm -hmm. You can call it that. Yeah, Yeah, So. Yes, where, you know, he keeps talking about, you know, when he's asked about this, it's all about technique. We got to teach better technique. We got to have these guys playing better technique. Well, that's, that's coaching. Are they not listening? Are they not able to do it anymore right now? We've seen several instances of him being on the sideline, uh, ranting and and ranting against his secondary. And I think he takes it personally when they don't play well because this is how Mike Zimmer became an NFL coach. And
1: that is fair to say. You are a defensive backs coach, and you are a fixer, so fix this. Where I would say it's not fair is going into the season... I think it was foreseeable to say Xavier Rhodes is going to fall off, and you had opportunities to trade Trey Waynes, too, at the draft. They wanted a first-round pick, according to Courtney Cronin. No one was going to give them a first-round pick for Trey Wayne, so you're basically saying, no, we're not doing that. Um, And Holton Hill gets suspended. I understand that was problematic. Mm -hmm. And Mike Hughes' comeback took some extra time, so they weren't in a perfect position to start trading away corners. But your job as a front office is also to see the future to be able to project and predict what's going to happen. And Mike Zimmer said at the owners' meeting, Xavier Rhodes better play better because we're paying him a lot of money. Well, that already was an acknowledgement that he hadn't played well enough the year before, and if you were putting down all your chips on the table... And if you did this with every position, some you'd be right, some you'd be wrong. You'd be wrong about Everson Griffin. He's been amazing, but I would have said, put my money on. He's not right because of his age and what he was coming off of. Um, So with Xavier Rhodes, I guess you could say that it was classic Zimmer over loyalty as opposed to trying to replace that position. And you know that Zimmer views these guys as projects that he built like Anthony Barr. They overpaid Anthony Barr. He has not lived up to the contract that he signed so far this year. And that was pretty predictable, too. There's only so much of an impact a linebacker can make if he's inconsistent like Barr. But it's a Zimmer project. I drafted him. I developed him. I made him the guy he is. And we're going to play him and we're going to keep him. And that probably got them in trouble. But that's where the front office is supposed to take the keys away and say, no, no, Mike, we can't keep this guy around when he's clearly fading. Why are you running a team? Oh, because you get fired all the time, right? <laughs> and, and there's a lot of stability, stability in AM radio. Stability in radio. That is where it's at. Uh, yeah, so um, Matthew Collar, Brian Murphy, we're going to talk with Sam Monson, who tweeted out that he had expected Kirk Cousins to regress by this point, but he hasn't. So now we're going to uh, try to project the rest of the season with Pro Football Focus's Sam Monson. When we return, and you apologize to America. That's going to happen as well by the end of the show. Because there's something that is your fault 100%. And you will uh, do what many sports players don't do, and take accountability. <laughs> Murph, you're going to do that. When we return, you'll listen to Purple Daily here on Score North.
2: Football fans, it's Mackie here for Federated Insurance. You might not know this about me, but I've been a business owner a couple different times in my life. I can relate to the roller coaster ride, the never-ending sea of problems to solve, the exhilaration of those incremental wins. If you're a business owner, I recommend getting to know Federated, which has over a century of experience in protecting businesses and making them as successful as they can be. You want a company like Federated standing behind your business, visit FederatedInsurance.com com to find your local representative. Federated Mutual
3: Insurance Company. It's our business to protect yours. Jonathan here with the Score North Download. The Score North Podcast Network consists of more than a dozen shows from Purple Daily and Raised by Wolves to The Scoop with Doogie and Royce Unchained. You can find a full list of these Minnesota sports podcasts over at ScoreNorth.com and the free ScoreNorth mobile app or just ScoreNorth, S-K-O-R-North, anywhere you find your podcasts. Mike Zimmer took to the podium for the first time this week and talked about how he plans on defending one of the best players in the NFL right now, Russell Wilson. He moves really
2: well, and so his movement, you know, we can't, we can't, just rush and stop and peak we've got to rush and uh but we have to be disciplined in our rush lanes and be where we're supposed to be because he'll go up he'll go back he'll go out he'll go left he'll go right you know it goes all the different places and and the receivers do a great job of taking off when he starts to scramble it doesn't take him you know he he sees an end come underneath and he's out
3: that's been your score north download now back to purple daily
1: Thank you, Jonathan. Matthew Collar, Brian Murphy here, and we welcome in, as we do every week, someone from Pro Football Focus, and this week we have Sam Monson. Hi, Sam. How are you?
4: Doing good. How about you guys?
1: Oh, we're doing okay. Uh, I want to start with your tweet where you were talking about Kirk Cousins and regression, where early in the season when he was putting up great pro football focus and traditional statistics, that you would have expected, all right, at some point these numbers are going to fade, but they have not so far. Over the final five weeks, Sam, would you now expect that we would reach that point, or is this the 2019 version of Kirk Cousins and that's what we're going to see, and that's pretty darn good?
4: Well, I've been acting it for a while. So, you know, whether, whether I expect it or not over the remaining few weeks, it doesn't seem to be having any kind of impact on him actually going down. I think him playing for effectively 14 um, games at this level would seem incredibly unlikely. Um, but he's already well past the point where, where he's. He's already had more games at this level, I think, that he's ever achieved on a good run in the past. You know, Cousins has been incredibly consistent at being inconsistent throughout his entire career. (laughs) He goes up, he goes down, and it always ends up around the same sort of area over the course of a year, but he doesn't spend that many weeks in a row in any one level, any one modality of, of play, and he has right now, so you know, it's it's really unprecedented and uncharted territory for him to play at this kind of level for this kind of period of time, and like I say, I've been expecting it to come back down to earth for a while, but so far
1: it hasn't. Sam, tell me if you feel the same way, since this is like your whole job. Is it getting harder to evaluate quarterbacks when systems mean so much to them? I mean, maybe it's always been that way, but... I feel like it's a crazy world we live in when Jared Goff can go from unbelievable for two years in a row, leading top offenses. He goes 24 and seven over 2017 and 18. And then I'm watching the other night. He looks like he should be a backup quarterback and he now has more interceptions than he has touchdowns. I I just trying to put the quarterbacks into your tiers and trying to figure out who's great and who's a franchise guy and who you should pay when we see these pretty wild variations of quarterback play from year to year. Even Dak Prescott goes last year from a mid-pack guy to an MVP type of play this year. I just think it's it's gotten more difficult than ever.
4: Yeah, I think it's probably always been this way, but I think we're getting better at understanding all the different things in play. And I think the other thing is we have more sophisticated tools of measuring quarterback performance than just box score numbers. You know, because the bottom line is... Way back when we used to basically just be looking at were they winning games? How many yards did they throw for? You know, what was their touch? How many touchdowns? How many interceptions? That kind of thing. And if you just looked at that, there's a ton of quarterbacks you would say are playing extremely well. You know, guys, there's, there's half the league has barely thrown any interceptions, has a, a bunch of touchdowns. Their statistics look great. Um, and a lot of them, their teams are winning games as well, but we have, so many more sophisticated ways of measuring quarterback performance now that we know some of these guys aren't playing particularly well. Um, You know, we have better ways of, of measuring this performance, and I think we're starting to get a better understanding of just how volatile quarterback play is year to year. Not just quarterback play, but how volatile performance is across the board, across the NFL. Things are not stable. You know, guys don't come into the league, play at the same level for 10 years, and then leave. They, they bounce up and down. They, they come at completely different levels. Guys can have outlier seasons. You know, it, it doesn't seem like it should be possible, but people can perform at a completely different level than you expect for an entire year and then revert back to somewhere closer to their baseline. So, yeah, I, I suspect this has always been the case for quarterbacks.
2: Uh, Sam, last year the Vikings uh, went out to Seattle and uh, played awful offensively, lost on Monday night, and a essentially ruined their playoff hopes, and ended up getting offensive coordinator John DiFilippo fired and having Kevin Stefanski ascend to that role. Uh, A lot of praise for Stefanski this season about how he's retooled, helped retool that offense. The Vikings have a little bit more of a running attack. Cousins having, obviously, a great run here. And, And Stefanski's now getting a lot of buzz nationally as sort of maybe that next Uh, offensive coordinator that would get considered for a head coaching job. He's 37. It fits into that trend of young offensive minds. Is he getting enough traction nationally to, do you think, land himself a job? Should the Vikings make the playoffs?
4: Yeah, it's interesting. I think there's going to be a lot of um, discussion when it gets to that sort of head coaching candidacy time as, as to how much of this was him how much of it um, was Gary Kubiak and the sort of consultancy role coming in, because this offense has a lot of the hallmarks of those Shanahan, Kubiak offenses. You know, there's a lot of the same stuff at work, and you can see that there's variations of that offense throughout the NFL, and it's almost always successful. They do a lot of things that just fundamentally work, whether it's these play-action, rollout out plays, um, just there's a lot of stuff. Within this offense that's currently in vogue in the NFL, um, so and I guess you know to a degree it doesn't necessarily matter who's bringing it to the table as long as he's capable of bringing it with him if he gets uh, a head coaching job somewhere else. But I think he's definitely setting himself up to be an interesting candidate for teams to talk to in the off season.
1: Talking with Sam Monson of Pro Football Focus. So Sam, I, I was trying to figure out based on the NFC playoff picture who the Vikings would most and least want to play because. These six teams look like they're going to be these six teams, unless the Eagles come back and and go over top of Dallas Cowboys, which with Jason Garrett coaching, that's always possible. But it looks like it's going to be San Francisco, New Orleans, Seattle, Green Bay, Minnesota, and Dallas in the playoffs. Uh, I would put San Francisco as the team that Minnesota absolutely does not want to face. Would you agree with that?
4: Yeah, I think so. I think they have the best defense of the group, and for that reason alone, I don't think you want to be facing them.
1: Yeah, for sure. Now, on the other side of that, is it a hot take to say Green Bay would be the team you'd want to play?
4: Uh, No, I mean, I think the Green Bay team, I think overall, they're starting to lose a bit of their luster as the season goes on. You know, Rodgers has not been playing amazingly. The defense we thought was going to be a strength of this team earlier in the season – it looked like the thing that was carrying them. Suddenly that's looking an awful lot less um, convincing. You know, the defensive front isn't nearly as dominant as it's been. The back end is giving up uh, a lot of passing plays. They can definitely be got at. And, you know, Rogers as well as he can play sometimes doesn't tend to, to, he's not at his best when he's trying to, you know, make a ton of big plays and execute comebacks. He wants to be, of, he wants to be leading from the front, where he can play his sort of extremely high-level brand of uh, conservative football, where he doesn't put the ball in harm's way and doesn't have to take risks that he, he doesn't have to make.
2: Uh, Sam, Monday night, uh, Lamar Jackson and the Ravens just continue to roll, and, and he continued to show why he's in the MVP com- conversation with uh, you know sort of the dual-threat attack and, and dissecting the Rams. But on the Rams side of things, the regression of Jared Goff and that that team as a as a juggernaut, what are we to make of that? How did that happen?
4: Yeah, I mean, I think there's uh, there's a lot of things gone wrong with the Rams at the moment. The, the single biggest thing I think is that their offensive line has fallen apart. It's gone from being arguably one of the best offensive lines in the NFL, certainly uh, one of the best run blocking units to now it's it's pretty bad. Um, you know, Andrew Whitworth is the only player of the five that's even playing uh average to above average football. Um, you know, one or two of the rookies have come in and looked okay, but that's been a real problem all season long. So golf is under more pressure. So Todd Gurley hasn't had the space he he had before to run the ball and he doesn't look the same player. Um so nothing they're doing is working as well as it did a year ago added to the fact that I think teams are better prepared now to stop this offense than they were last season. And just they're kind of like the Browns were earlier in the season. All of these things are, are sort of magnifying all of the problems are compounding uh, each error is compounding the last or each problem is compounding the last. And the whole thing is just, it's a bigger mess than the sum of the problems.
1: So Sam, we were talking about this yesterday on the show. I'm curious about your take Uh, I think that the Vikings would be a team that could be in danger of Ramsing, which would be, you know, being a top offense and everybody's talking about how great you are and everything else. And then a year later, they might have the potential to drop off with that. If Kirk Cousins regresses, if Stefanski goes somewhere else, if Gary Kubiak decides he wants to go back to the ranch and raise cattle or something, right? Like, injuries haven't happened too much to the Vikings this year, aside from Adam Thielen being out. Um, and then there's paying uh, Delvin Cook. There's the matter of paying Kirk Cousins down the road, which the Rams looks like they've made some mistakes there. Uh, would that be a concern for you, that the, the the Vikings could buy into themselves too much from what they've done this year and ultimately down the road end up like the Rams?
4: Yeah, a little bit. I mean, so this team is, right now, it's doing well, right? It's, it's tied for the division lead. It's looking like it's heading towards the playoffs, but ultimately it does feel a little bit like it's built on foundations of sand. Um, you know, Kirk Cousins is right now playing the best football of his career. But all of the data we have before this point suggests that he is uh, an average to above average quarterback at best. So relying on that going forward is probably not smart. Right. Um, the offensive line may have taken steps forward, but it's still not good. It's certain, In fact, inside, I think it's pretty weak. Their cornerback situation is starting to get concerning. You know, Xavier Rhodes doesn't look anything like the player he used to be. You can make an argument that their best corner right now is Holton Hill, who is like one mistake away from a long-term suspension again. (laughs) Um, The cornerback situation is just, is a major problem that they need to sort out going forward. Um, So there's just, there's a lot of things right now that do not exactly look like long-term, um, problem free areas and ultimately you can kind of see an issue down the down the line somewhere whether it manifests itself in the playoffs when they have to face better teams or whether it all falls to pieces you know next year and beyond yeah it doesn't look like this team is necessarily um in a great spot for long-term success
1: right and that's why i've kind of been looking at this game against seattle is huge because it's got a, a big swing potentially on playoff position we know if you're one of those teams that gets the home field advantage how much that can mean to your super bowl chances um aside from russell wilson being amazing sam how good are the seattle seahawks and who would you give the edge to in that game with seattle and minnesota
4: I think offense is good. I mean, now that's largely driven by the fact that Russell Wilson is amazing, but they have some receiving weapons that are dangerous. Um, They can run the ball, though their offensive line is, you know, always not great. Their defense has been far from great, far from good. Even it's, it's been a problem, Um, but they've got some players that are playing well on defense. Both Griffins, uh, Shaquille Griffin has taken a big step forward this year at cornerback. And then Shaquem Griffin, they're starting to work in as a situational pass rusher, which is actually a pretty interesting move by them. And I think the smart move, because that's where he was great in college. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting seeing him get a legitimate run at some offensive tackles on obvious passing downs. Um, I think this team can be got out. I think they can be beaten. They're definitely not the best team in the world, but you're going up against a quarterback that's playing as well as any quarterback in football.
1: Right, with a defense that has struggled even against the likes of Matt Moore and Chase Daniels at times. Uh, Chase Daniel, sorry. that I auto-corrected there with my voice. Um, Sam, always great stuff. Uh, great to have you on. And I've missed a joke opportunity, so I'm going to make it anyway, that Foundations of Sand was my 90s band. Okay. Nice. Uh, nice. All right. Yeah. I th- I doubled back on that. But when you said, anyway, so uh, we'll do it <laughs> again soon, Sam. We, we always end these so smoothly. Um, <laughs> 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 a thud. Yeah, that's how it is. So uh, appreciate your time, buddy. We'll talk to you again soon. Have a, wait, wait. Do they do uh, Thanksgiving in Ireland? Right. No, that, they no, don't. It's an American, American holiday, man. dude. Like, but I, I, just, I mean, you live, it, it over. you live in America now. So like, did you decide that you're doing Thanksgiving or you're like, no, I'm Irish?
4: I'm having it imposed upon me by my oh. parents who are coming up to visit.
1: Okay, all right. Well then, happy Thanksgiving, Sam. Great to have you in America. <laughs> you too, guys. Take, it Thanks, take care. Uh, one time, I told Sam that I love him, and he said, "I love you too." Yeah, we have that audio somewhere. I never know how to end the interviews; they're always so good. Anyway, so you can follow Sam Monson on Twitter. You should tell your friends that you love them. Anyway, I love you, Murph. I, I don't. I don't. Are we friends? Sure, yeah, oh, I think okay. so. Well, I, I love you, too. Okay. Um, at PFF underscore Sam is where you can follow Sam Monson. And as always, go to PFF.com and use the promo code RADIO. Whether you're family, uh, a family, uh, fantasy football gambler, armchair GM, or just a football fan, um, you want to get their premium stats, which I use all the time and are awesome. So you can get 25% off. Give that to someone for a Thanksgiving gift or whatever. I'm great at reads, too. Um, okay. Uh, you need to apologize to America, speaking of Thanksgiving, Murph, and here's why. Do you remember the Simpsons episode? Were you a Simpsons guy? Yeah, kind of. Where the, all the baseball players are on the softball episode, Ken Griffey Jr. and No, no really? That's like a that famous sorry, episode. Sorry. Anyway, Steve Sachs is in it. And uh, Chief Wiggum pulls over Steve Sachs, and he discovers that he's from New York City. And, of course, Chief Wiggum, being as smart as he is, says... There are a lot of unsolved murders in New York City. I think we need to bring them in, boys. (laughs) So they uh, charge Steve Sachs with all the unsolved murders from New York City, and that's why he can't play in the softball game. Well, you are playing Steve Sachs here only with the Lions and Thanksgiving football. So all that the Lions have done to us, because you are from Detroit, you are responsible for and you are going to apologize for. So go ahead.
2: I am. I I, on behalf of all Detroiters, I do apologize for the crap sandwich you are about to <laughs> eat again tomorrow on national television with once again an underachieving, flailing away Detroit Lions team, which with if they weren't owned by the Ford, uh, the Ford family of, of Ford Motor Company fame that gives millions in advertising to the National Football League, they would not be on year after year after year after year. It's been a tradition. It's tough for the NFL to kind of you know look the other way i think it would be a problem a pr problem if they did sack the lions but i think most of america's pretty much had it uh at least it's just the early game so if you have a gathering mm-hmm. you know it starts at 11:30 here i think maybe even noon but it's it's over with quickly before dinner you don't have to choke down the turkey per se now you get the dallas game later but i i do want to just say that i i understand because yeah. i i've i I went to a lot of Thanksgiving games. I've been, I, I grew up watching them lose continuously on Thanksgiving in some very painful ways in some ugly ways. Uh, and I, I just, I know as a, as a fan of, of the game and it's a big gathering for people and you, yep. and you want to have, you know, nice moments with your family and you want to, <laughs> you, you don't want to argue about politics, especially not this year. No. Uh, so, you know, you want to sit down and be entertained and year after year you have to watch one of the saddest franchises in all of, of pro sports, suck up three hours of your
1: time. I have an important Lions update just to make this worse. And, is Stafford uh, playing? Oh, no. Oh, Matt Stafford is definitely not playing. And their backup, Jeff Driscoll, who is also bad, uh, he is not a sure thing to play either.
2: Who's that Who's
1: that leave? Um, that leaves David Blah, B-L-O-U-G-H. Not sure if it's Blah, but I doubt it's Blow, but that does open up the door for jokes (laughs) um jeff driscoll the latest on his hamstring is that it is better but the lions worked out some quarterbacks on tuesday you know good free agent quarterback like colin No, no 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 joe callahan who the
2: hell is joe callahan could you imagine them bringing Colin Kaepernick back on Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving. <laughs> Day? You talk about two middle fingers to oh, America, right that there. That would be that would be <laughs> talk, talk about the knee. Thanksgiving
3: family <laughs> conversation. Yeah, yeah that's oh, what we
2: need. Goodness. We need Kaepernick on the field and impeachment at the dinner table. That's what needs to happen on <laughs> Thursday. That's what America needs is the reckoning.
1: No one would be short on conversation topics if Colin Ka- uh, Kaepernick was starting for the Lions, but alas, um, Joe Callahan tried out for them and. Uh, they also were not allowed to have Josh Johnson try out because his XFL contract would not allow it. That's where we're at with he has the Detroit a no Lions. Move clause in
2: the XFL. I'm
1: not making that up. That is a real thing that Josh Johnson was not allowed to go try out for the Detroit Lions because it's in his XFL contract. So that's where we're at with Chicago and Detroit. Well, it's not all the Lions' fault because the
2: Bears are awful too, yeah. and which Trubisky is terrible, and they're 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 just blowing their foot off week after week with a shotgun. But the 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 fact that it's actually the Bears kind of brings me back to my childhood a little bit because mm-hmm. the very first Lions season that I remember was 1980. Mm-hmm. So I was eight years old, and that was Billy Sims' rookie year. So there was some excitement around the team, and they started off 4-0, and and they adopted – you remember the Queen hit, Another One Bites the Dust? Oh, yeah. That was a big oh, yeah. hit in 1980. Well, they – they prior to the Super Bowl shuffle, some of the Lions got themselves into a studio and cut themselves uh <laughs> another one bites the dust as well. Really? Uh, uh, uh yes. Okay, this uh, has to be out because there. Because they somewhere. were 4 and 0. So it, it kind of caught fire like hey, another one down, another one down. Well, they ended after up after 4? After 4. That
1: really says a lot about Well, the Lions. they
2: finished the season 4 and 8. And ended up kidding. 8 and 8 and missed the playoffs. And one of the
1: worst losses in that
2: was on Thanksgiving <laughs> yeah. Day.
1: So, wait. Hold on. Yes. There. They're in a studio singing Another One Bites the Dust. Like, yeah, yeah, we're just knocking down bowling pin opponents here and then lost eight games in a row. Uh,
2: well, not quite. For, uh, the 8 of 12 they lost oh, okay. to, to close I see. the season I at 8-8. Yeah. But one of the worst losses was Thanksgiving Day against mm-hmm. the Bears. They had a touchdown lead. They allowed Vince Evans to drive all the way well, down Vince the field. Evans, man. Great and he scored a touchdown to tie the game with no time on the clock. That's fantastic. Okay, now you want to talk about stealing momentum. All right. Well, what do the what Vikings promptly do? They lose the coin toss. Lions mean. And they, Dave Williams, a nobody from nowhere, houses the overtime kickoff <laughs> for a 23-17. to 17, uh, I didn't know the score until I looked up. 23-17 Bears victory that, that gutted the Lions. Now, what I remember about that is that I was at my aunt's house, my Aunt Kathy's house. Used to always host the big Murphy family, right? Well, my Uncle Terry, my dad's brother... I think he had some money riding on the game oh. and uh, decided during that kickoff return to drop the loudest F-bomb that I had ever heard to that point. <laughs> now, I'd heard the word before, but never in that context. <laughs> and that kind of brought the the gathering to a little bit of a sharp uh, uh, change of tone, let's put it that way. That's he got tremendous. the stink eye from a lot of the ants and, and was put down. But it was not without reason. If I would, If I was him, I would have said the same thing if I was been allowed to. And then, of course... <laughs> Fast forward 18 years, I'm in the seats in 1998. They're playing the Pittsburgh Steelers. Jonathan, you were going to pull up this audio, I think, at one point, right? Everybody in America remembers this, too, right? The referee Phil Luckett game. Jerome Bettis coming back to his hometown for the Steelers, playing the Lions. Another game going into overtime. This was Barry Sanders last year. So I had season tickets at the time. I'm way up in the third deck with my homeboys at the Silverdome, (laughs) which is like miles away from everything. And I distinctly heard Jerome Bettis call tails on the coin toss, and Phil Luckett basically ignoring that and saying, "No, you called heads, as did most of America, I believe." Right?
5: We'll have a toss
2: to determine who receives. Who will call it from Pittsburgh? Number thirty-six heads, tails, tails, heads. Call it plays in the air.
1: Heads is the call. What he said? Heads. It is a tails. I'll never forget. Oh, he said heads. tails. <laughs> he did. I'll never
2: forget his. Career. I heard it on the mic up yeah. in the third deck. Jerome Bettis said Amazing. tails. Phil Luckett. No, you said heads. And the Lions, of course, got the ball, and they actually went down and scored and gutted Pittsburgh. Yeah. Uh, yeah. A and, rare but, Lions moment. And but and we now that changed coin tosses forever because now they have to pre-call the toss. You can't rely just on it being in the air. They call oh, it the right, Ford's yeah. flip now, yes. all because of that. Uh, poor Phil Luckett, though. Uh,
1: Jonathan says he found the song, the Detroit Lions Another One Bites the Dust song.
2: You did? You've got to be oh, kidding me. Oh, my goodness.
1: It's on YouTube.
2: Oh, of course it is, because what is it on YouTube? Oh, no. This is Spider-Man Allen. Jimmy Allen, cornerback. He was the Richard the Sherman NFL. of his time. Spider-Man standing on the seat with his helmet when I load no sound, but the sound
5: was clean. The line began to roll. Are you ready? Are you ready for this?
2: Are
0: you sitting on the SBC? Pay for it. Come and watch the Detroit line that no one seems to be.
2: <laughs> Another one. Bats wow. the Dutch. I'm telling you, you couldn't go this anywhere in about October of 1980 <laughs> without hearing that song on Detroit Airwaves. And by late November, it was over.
1: <laughs> the run I, was over. They didn't make the playoffs. I knew we needed Detroit perspective on this day as we So, go I mean, just smile a little as, as you haven't. watch the Lions and Bears tomorrow, and you
2: have to choke down that awful crap sandwich. That of may a,
3: just be playing on repeat at my house during the Lions game.
2: Jimmy, Spider-Man, Allen. I'll never I, forget him.
3: I really do hope that we get the other
1: two games are good. Because I have no plans tomorrow. My wife is working; uh, she's a reporter, so she's got to go report on stuff. And I'm just going to be sitting there watching football. And I'm going to just, yep. Me and the dog are going to deal with the first game. It is NFC North, technically. So I guess I'll watch, right? Yeah. But the the second one does have some intrigue, from my perspective, being Dallas and Buffalo. Sure. A lot Buffalo, going on with the Bills. Yeah, Buffalo Are they for real? First th- no, I don't think so at all. <laughs> but if they beat Dallas, then it's going to be hard to say they're not. I think their quarterback is Mitch Trubisky 2.0, and that they've had an unbelievably easy schedule that's put them where they're at, and every time they've played a mildly difficult team, they've lost. So here's their opportunity to say, no, it's not just our schedule, we're for real, against the Dallas team that might... Go fire their coach if they lose. I'm it- surprised
2: they haven't yet. Maybe it's a short week, I thought, right?
1: Yeah, I thought after last week that might be it for Jason Garrett. But if they lose 21-14 or something, I think Jerry Jones walks down to the sideline and says, so. give me your key fob. I
2: do. I believe he does, yes, before he, Garrett can walk out of the building.
1: And then New Orleans just lost to Atlanta a couple weeks ago, and they're holding on to that spot by a thread. Yeah, that, they're going to go, down, they're gonna go
2: down there in a tone big Yeah, time. probably,
1: probably. But at least those two games have some intrigue. The first one just, you know, throw me off a tall building. Uh, anyway, it's been fun. Murph we'll do it again soon as always um, and now coming up next usually Sage Rosenfels is on hour one but today on hour two and we are going to talk with Jay Fiedler who was on the 1998 Vikings and also just had a really cool career and I want to ask him about taking over for Dan Marino and what it was like to play with Randy Moss so a lot coming up still on the show with Sage Rosenfels and Jay Fiedler which I mean isn't that great like Jay Fiedler's on the show and anyway, I don't know maybe everybody else doesn't think Fiedler right. on the roof That was Chris Berman's thing. Yes. I thought about bringing it up, but I'm like, I don't know if he liked it or not. So I didn't want to go there. Uh, Anyway, that's what's coming up next. You're listening to Purple Daily here on Score North. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. Welcome back to Purple Daily, Matthew Collar, and now we're joined by Sage Rosenfels here on the show, as we always are on Wednesdays, but this time, Hour 2 instead of Hour 1. So, introducing new listeners, hopefully, to Sage Rosenfels. Uh, Sage, how are you? What's going on, man?
6: I'm doing great, getting ready for uh, Thanksgiving, starting to pack a little bit, taking the kids out to Colorado, uh, see my brother and my, my, my parents this year. Nice. So, lo- looking forward to a little turkey and... Whatever else, uh, uh, the fancy hotel that is serving the brunch that we're going to, that we don't have to cook, is going to (laughs) cook for us, which is, I'm very excited about that.
1: Yeah, the wife and I, I think, are going to order a pizza, probably. We are just not exactly great Thanksgiving cookers. Um, Before we uh, get to our guest, which is a journeyman quarterback that I'm very excited to talk to, in uh, Jay Fiedler, in just a couple minutes here, I want to get your take, Sage, on Lamar Jackson, because the other night watching him against the Los Angeles Rams, was truly mind-blowing, the way he picked them apart, not just with his legs, but with his arm as well. And he's working with Greg Roman, who was the same offensive coordinator that worked with Tyrod Taylor and Colin Kaepernick and got a lot out of those guys. I'm curious about what you see when you watch Lamar Jackson play in that offense because I think it's the perfect marriage of a guy who had the skill to be a great NFL quarterback but needed the right person pulling the strings, and Greg Roman has been that guy. Hats off
6: to the Baltimore Ravens, for one, for taking a, I don't know I'd say take a chance, but, you know, he was at, what, 28th pick of the draft or something. 32nd. 32nd. But by the way, Baltimore actually passed on him the first time. That was their second first rounder. they picked
1: Hayden Hurst. Congratulations on that, Ravens.
6: That year. So they did draft him, and once they did pick him, they they created a plan, and uh, having Greg Roman uh, of all coaches in the, in the NFL, as the offensive coordinator that perfectly fits basically his skill set. Uh, and my guess is there's going to be sort of other Greg Romans that come off of this because I think there will be some more, uh, you know, Lamar Jackson's a freak athlete, but I think there is going to be now, um, you know, the, the Kyler Murray, five, a 5'10 guy was drafted the first pick of the draft. Right, I think the NFL is a little bit changing to where teams are starting not to worry about the six four, six five. Is he going to be Drew Bledsoe, Peyton Manning, pocket passer? But seeing the value of these really athletic uh, you know, quarterbacks who can also throw, and his throwing this year has been very impressive. Yes, because uh, that's where his struggle was last year. He, uh, you know, he went to work in the off season. Uh, he and his coaches, I'm sure and have turned him into a very good passer, which he was not, uh, not. Not. I mean, that playoff game last year, they had something like seven yards of pass in the first half. It was pitiful. But now they've got the whole thing working, and uh, it's a fun offense to watch. It's different, um, and uh, but it's explosive, and he's explosive. And there's, you know, there's almost nobody like him in the NFL uh, from an athletic standpoint.
1: Well, how do you think that they fixed the, the passing? I mean, I watched a ton of him at Louisville, and I thought, you know, I think this guy can do it. With the proper coaching, he can improve. He also didn't have a great completion percentage, but had bad wide receivers at Louisville. It's not exactly like what Alabama has this year with three or four NFL wide receivers. Uh, but such a huge improvement in one year. We almost never see that from a quarterback when it comes to just three throwing the ball
6: yeah we we don't and and i will say this for you know for myself i really struggled when i first got to the nfl with the nfl football it was different than than you know it is Different throwing an NFL ball than a college ball for whatever reason, hmm. uh, and, and when I came to the league they they used to the balls were fairly new for games they didn 't let you uh, work them all up like they, like, like they do now, uh, but I struggled that first year, and of course, the coverages and, and really you know, you know your accuracy greatly goes up because you 've got great anticipation you 've got good feet, and you only can do that when you have a great knowledge of coverages, so I think he has learned. About football a lot more this year than last year, giving him confidence to, to fit balls in there uh, to may, maybe he couldn't anticipate last year. Uh, but he's also probably seen simpler coverages in a sense, as when teams play them they probably can't play as much you know cover two or these they have to bring guys into the box and to stop that run because he truly is an extra runner mm-hmm. and if you you know don't basically uh, create a defense to go okay somebody's going to have to have Lamar Jackson in in this fit um, you 're going to get uh you, know, you know, run off the field and teams are already, you know they 're already running and it also helps out the running game the actual running backs yeah. now uh you know the teams are playing Lamar a little bit and they they can 't focus completely on the runner and it actually helps out. The running backs, and so it's uh, it's a different style of football. Uh, you know, when you don't, this is, you know, Army and Navy and those those type, Air Force, uh, uh, you know, Georgia Tech. When they always run the option, Nebraska run the option, it was different than what everybody else was doing. It was adding the quarterback into the running game, and the nice thing is when you throw the football, bad things happen, can happen, right? Interceptions, incompletions, tip balls, sacks. Fumbles, sack fumbles—you know—all these bad things can happen. When you can run the ball with a quarterback uh, and just run the ball on teams, all those bad things go away. And uh, all you have to do is sort of execute that grinded-out running style. And they have put this team around him, uh, which uh, you know really hits, really fits his uh, um, you know athletic ability and throwing ability as well.
1: Okay, now we're going to welcome in our guest on the show. like to every so often get fellow journeyman quarterbacks uh, that are friends with Sage Rosenfels. The other night I sent Sage a text and I said, are you friends with Jay Fiedler? And of course, I already knew the answer was going to be yes. So we welcome in uh, Jay Fiedler. How are you, Jay?
5: I'm doing fantastic. How are you guys?
1: We're doing great. I want to read you a quote from Randy Moss about you. Um, Because you played for the Vikings uh, in 1998, and then you obviously go on to Miami, where you uh, got to know Sage, and you you have a good career as a starting quarterback there. Uh, But I was reading an article from the Baltimore Sun from 2000 where they're talking about you and, and taking over for Marino, and here's what Randy Moss said about you, Jay. He said he's got very good accuracy, throws a nice football, he's an NFL quarterback, I like Jay, I had no complaints or negatives about him, he was quiet and he knew the game of football football how awesome is that jay that randy moss said that about you
5: <laughs> i think that was once
1: <laughs> <laughs> what was it like playing uh, with him uh, that
5: I'll, I'll tell you what i mean randy was was a special athlete he was uh something else uh um you know that that whole 98 team uh in minnesota was was something special to be a part of uh uh, you know, we we were setting records uh, in the NFL for scoring and offensive production. Uh, you know, watching Randall Cunningham go out there and, and and use the weapons that he had between Robert Smith in the backfield, uh, Chris Carter, Jake Reed, Randy Moss, and uh, and, and the like, and uh, uh, David Palmer coming in on third downs uh, out of the backfield was electric. Uh, you know, that was a real special team and, and something uh, you know to to to, to really. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I was I was excited to be a part of it. Uh, you know, I threw my first completion in the NFL to Randy Moss that season, and uh, you know that's something that uh, you know I tell people all the time now that uh, you know people that don't really remember me playing and uh, uh, you know, the young kids I tell them that I threw my first completion to Randy Moss, and their eyes light up. So, you know, <laughs> so it's a fun little stat. to uh, to share with everyone
6: so jay you're talking about you know 1998 your first nfl pass uh you know that sort of same with me my first nfl pass uh was about when i was playing with you i I think my third season or something but uh, you started off in 1994 spent a couple years with the philadelphia eagles Uh, was that john gruden offensive coordinator philadelphia eagles it was
5: he actually he came in my second season so i started off in 94 uh, with, uh, Rich Kotite was the head coach and, uh, uh Zeke Brykowski, uh, the former Green Bay Packers backed up to Bart Starr, uh, was our offensive coordinator that year. And then, you know, my second year in the league, uh, John Gruden came in as, you know, the youngest, uh, uh offensive coordinator at the time, uh, in the league. And, uh, you know, he just brought some, some amazing energy. And, you know, I felt like, You know, that season with John Gruden, I got a PhD in football, uh, you know, just working with him and, you know, getting to understand concepts on on a, uh, you know, on a level that he brings to the table every day, uh, from a preparation standpoint, from a film study standpoint, from, you know, strategy, X's and O's. Uh, you know, he he was a guy that I probably learned the most from in that one year of football.
6: So so you're you're out of football your first two years in Philly out of football in 96 fall and then you get signed with the Amsterdam Admirals play over season in the spring of 1997 talk talk to about talking about playing football in Amsterdam
5: <laughs> uh, well that was you know, that was it was fun uh, we we had we had a good time out there. I was actually
6: out there
5: uh, um, I went out a couple weeks into the season because, uh, you know, at the time the NFL was, it was with the World League of Football. It wasn't NFL Europe just yet, but the NFL did have a, uh, a relationship uh, with the European League uh, at the time where they were sending, uh, you know, basically allocating their players, uh, to go out to the league. So, you know, the majority of quarterbacks that started out there, uh, were guys that were allocated from teams. Um, because I was out of football at the time, uh, you know, I didn't get a chance to, to, to start, uh, the season with any of the teams. And then there were a couple injuries and, uh, uh, moves on rosters and it opened up a spot for me to go out to Amsterdam. So, you know, I went out there a couple weeks into the season and, uh, uh, you know, for me, just getting back into the game and, and, uh, you know, being in, in, in a competitive situation, which, you know, really, uh, other than a couple of preseason games in Philadelphia, uh, you know, that was the extent for, for three or four years after, uh, playing college football. Uh, so, you know, being able to compete again and, and, uh, uh, you know, do it against other professional players, uh, you know, was, a, was a real, uh, boost for me to, to keep myself sharp and keep myself in the game. And, you know, I had a great, uh, uh, great time out there, great teammates, uh, you know, one of the other quarterbacks with us, uh, out there was Mike McCoy, uh, and you know, I could see back then that he was going to be a heck of a coach, uh, cause, you know, the way he prepared for games and, uh, you know, the study sessions that, that we had together, uh, you know, really, uh, you know, helped us get ready each week, uh, for the games.
1: Talking with former NFL quarterback Jay Fiedler. I want to circle back to the 98 Vikings team, Jay. And, you know, you talk about learning NFL offenses early on in your career. Well, every time Brian Billick talks about the 98 team, he says that the strategy was basically throw it super long to Randy Moss which, which which makes a lot of sense but you know at that time the NFL is sort of taking this this transition into these crazy passing offenses you have uh, that year is a record-setting offense and then the following year greatest show on turf starts to show up what was there something that was done strategically with that team aside from just huck it long to Randy Moss that was unique or, or creative in 98.
5: Well, you know, it's funny. Bill, uh, you know, mentions that, and uh, you know, one of the things, and Saints can probably attest to it. Uh, you know, everywhere you go in the league, and every new coach that you have, kind of brings something different to the table to you. And uh, you know, for me, like I said before, you know, John Gruden, just you know, from a preparation and, and strategy X's and O's standpoint of you know trying to create. Uh, Uh, situations as a quarterback to get an advantage, uh, you know, before every single play, that was, you know, kind of his specialty. And, you know, one of the things that I learned in that 98 season under Billick and, uh, and and with that team is, you know, when, when you find a matchup that you like and you find a guy and you know that your guy is better than the other guy, take the X's and O's out of the table. Mm -hmm. Uh, Take it off the table and just, you know, let your guys make a play. And that's really what it was, Uh, you know, you know, fortunately, obviously for that team, you know, you had guys all across the field, so it made it easy to, to, to find that matchup and, and you were going to have a mismatch somewhere, uh, you know, with that caliber of talent. And, uh, you know, some coaches, you know, feel like, uh, you know, they have to complicate things when, you know, the, the bottom line is if you have better players, keep it simple and let your guys go out and play. And that was really, you know, what, uh, you know that team brought uh, week in and week out it wasn't anything special you know schematically or or, or anything it was spread teamed out uh, you know forced them into uh you know creating one-on-one situations somewhere on the field find that situation and let you guys make plays
1: you know sage this should really be a separate podcast for us where we go through journeyman quarterbacks careers and we ask them about every single team because this is well, great
6: yeah uh, well that's the thing is you know it's it's you know, Jay, when we talk football on here, you know, when I go watch these Vikings games or this morning I watched the Bears games, so I said a Bears radio show, but when you watch the coach's film, you know, all the things that you go back to are all the different coaches that you know I had, that you had, and I think that's a really a big advantage in some ways rather than the the players that play for maybe one coach for five or six seasons. You know, Eli Manning basically played the same offense for his first ten years in the NFL. But, you know, after football's over, uh, to, to bounce around, to be sort of like the, we, we call it the journeyman backup, which is our Wednesday segment, uh, I think you get, you know, so much knowledge from these very – both good and bad. You know, there's times like, ah, I wish that offense would have done this because this old offense did that and really liked the way they did that. And uh, But this guy, he does a good job with this, and they teach the wide receivers to do this, which I like, and how you sort of pick all these little pieces from all the various coaches that you have, but you only can really do that if – you know, you have the type of career that you had when you sort of bounce around is that, you know, we, we like to say journeyman backup, but you were like a legit starter, uh, for what three, four, three years, four years uh, in the NFL? Five where you, When I was with you with, with the Dolphins, man, that you were you were the starting guy. and We had some really good football teams. You led to the Dolphins to the to the playoffs, uh, and uh, you know a couple nine and seven and ten and six seasons, which we were you know right there, but uh, uh, you know didn't get in the playoffs. But man, you you know you really worked your way up the old fashioned way from being out of football, playing in Europe working your way up, and then, you know, being that starter. Uh, I imagine all the knowledge that you learned from those coaches along the way.
5: Yeah, well, you know, that was the one fortunate thing of, of you know, going and bouncing around and being that journeyman was, uh, you know, obviously I was fortunate enough to be on teams with with, with some great offensive minds. And, uh, uh, you know, I had some great teammates that, that I learned from as well. But, uh, you know, like I said, that that coaching uh, uh uh, foundation that, uh, I was able to learn from over those years and, and, and look, you don't take everything that you learn from, from every coach, but, uh, you take pieces that fit into your game and, uh, you know, along the way you kind of utilize them and, and, you know, it molds you into, into the quarterback that, uh, you know, is, is best for you to take your team out onto the field. And that's really what I brought down to Miami in 2000. Uh, you know, was all the things that I learned uh from from Gruden, from uh Billick, from from Coughlin, uh along the way and, and uh you know, took the strengths that I brought uh into the game and uh you know with the strategy and, and, and knowledge that uh, that that uh, you know they gave me and you know was able to translate that into into winning seasons in my
1: Talking with former NFL quarterback Jay Fiedler. Um, Jay, I'm, I'm curious what it was like to be the guy who took over for Dan Marino. I, I mean, that must have come along with a lot of pressure, and I wonder how you handle that because you take over for Dan Marino and then you go ten and five as a starter, eleven and five as a starter, and have a lot of success there. But when that first happened, I mean that that must have come along with a lot of criticism and, and expectations and things like that. How do you deal with that as as a quarterback when you're Really taking on your first true starting gig.
5: Well, for 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 me, it wasn't about going and replacing Dan Marino. For me, it was a journey to become a a starting quarterback in the NFL. And you know, Sage, you know, you know this as well. I mean, you 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 play your whole career to 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 work up, and if you're not the anointed one right away, uh, you know, it's it's a grind and a journey to 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 get that opportunity to start. Uh, So. You know, when it finally came for me and I was able to, to compete for a starting job and work my way up to, to, to get into that position, it didn't matter who I was replacing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, who was before me, uh, you know, I was putting more pressure on myself than anyone else, uh, you know, inside or outside the organization uh, was going to do. And uh, and I knew, you know, being uh, the, the the guy that wasn't an anointed one, uh, you know, wasn't a first-round draft pick, wasn't... Uh, you know, uh, a a big, uh, you know, free agent signing, uh, you know, with a a multi-year, multi-million dollar contract, Uh, you know, I was was brought in to to compete for a starting job, I wasn't given anything, so, uh, you know, I knew that I had to go out and and win games and and prove myself and earn that reputation, uh, you know, of being a starting quarterback in the league and, uh, uh, you know, the thing the thing that made it, uh, you know, different, obviously, was the fact that, you know, the guy before me was, uh, you know, one of the best of all time uh, to play the position and, and certainly, uh, you know, someone that uh, Miami Dolphins fans, uh, you know, loved watching uh, week in and week out, season, you know, every season uh, that he played and, you know, he, he was, you know, exciting player to watch and, and threw the ball all over the place, but I knew going in that, you know I brought a different skill set to to, to the game and, uh, you know I was able to win in different ways uh than just being a drop back pocket passer um, you know and we had different teams there too i mean our team was was really built around defense and uh you know we had about 70% of our salary cap on on the defensive side of the ball.
6: <laughs> this so. is very tr- I was I, I was going to get to that Jay, you know, the 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 the, the uh Dolphin fans had gone all these years with this, you know, whether it's a pass happy offense and throw, throwing around and high scoring games and then, you know, the Jimmy Johnson, Dave Wanstead sort of era was, all right, we're not we're going to win by the old school So what the Vikings doing defense, run the football, smart quarterback that can make plays you need to, he's accurate, you know, Makes good decisions and, and those types of things, and and that was a big uh, sort of a you know philosophical change for Dolphin fans as well because they're no longer seeing 400 yards a game you know passing, but it was still winning football games. You know, talk to me about being on a team where you know you've got this defense. I believe my first year there in 2002, we had seven Pro Bowlers on defense. And Ricky Williams was yep. a pro ball on offense. I mean, we really did invest like seventy percent of our salary cap on the uh, on defense. The offensive line was was a lot of really old guys, and then it went to they all got all retired and. We went with a bunch of really young guys, you know, sixth round picks and fourth round picks, starting, you know, as rookies or second year players. And uh, you know, talking about the challenges of being on a team where you know we're not going to beat teams, you know, forty five to, to thirty eight or whatever. We're going to be in this grinded out football games, and how, what your what your mentality as a quarterback in those types of situations where any mistake can really cost you, because the Vikings sort of have that style with Kirk Cousins right now, uh, where they prefer if they could to play great defense to run the football and not throw it 45 times a game
5: well yeah you know i mean sometimes that gets frustrating as a quarterback where uh, you know the, the the team has such a defensive uh minded mentality and you know there the, there were times that uh, you know i felt that we got you know a little bit too conservative too early in in, in certain games and, you know when we felt like we had an advantage offensively and we were doing things you know uh really really well uh uh, you know, in, in the first half of games, there were some times that, you know, all of a sudden, you know, uh, let's, let's not go out and lose the game. Let's let our defense, uh, you know, continue to play. And, and look, and, and there's, there's something to that. Obviously, when you have a great defense, you don't want to be, uh, you know, taking crazy chances on offense. But, uh, you know, you also want to make sure that, uh, you know, you're taking advantage of situations, and, you know, whether it's down a distance situation uh you know throwing the ball in certain in, in certain instances when you know defense is is really giving you uh you know every opportunity to make plays in the air and you know and you still try to run the ball into nine and ten man boxes uh uh you know it, 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 it's it, it's frustrating and tough but uh you know I also knew as a quarterback that we did have such a great defense uh, down in miami that uh You know, I had to be careful with the ball, but I also had to make plays, uh, you know, when they were there. You know, I think one of the things I was most proud of, uh, uh, you know, as a quarterback in Miami was, you know, our third-down production over the years was, was, you know, usually one of the best uh, across the league. And, you know, that was, uh, uh, you know, one of the things that, uh, you know, we really focused on was, uh, you know, uh, maintaining uh, the possession as much as we can controlling the clock and uh, winning that tie of as you know, because we knew if, uh, you know, we could keep our offense on the field and give our defense a break, they were going to make plays. They were going to, you know, uh, you know, create turnovers, uh, uh, and, and we could keep the game close enough, uh, you know, to go out and win in the end.
1: That's interesting, Jay, because uh, Sage and I talk a lot about quarterback win-loss record and how you know sometimes it's not fair, but sometimes it makes sense because you play to the score, you play to the game situation, your team's strengths, and you didn't get sacked very much, and, and you won a lot of games, I think, uh, for a reason. Uh, but, Jay, there's something we love to do with journeyman quarterbacks, Sage and I, every week, which is look through their Wikipedia pages because we always find some gems in there. And, of course, yours has two great things that if you you weren't here i'd be bringing up uh number one it says on your wikipedia that you were a co-owner of a cba basketball expansion team called the <laughs> east kentucky Miners, which is amazing and also that you played pro volleyball can you explain these things
5: <laughs> uh well we'll take the first one first uh you know i, I grew up around basketball i was a uh, uh, yeah, my dad was a high school basketball coach in New York City. Coached, uh, you know, some amazing players. Uh, Anthony Mason being his most uh, 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 famous uh, one that went on to to play for the New York Knicks and, and many other teams. Uh, you know, and he was he was kind of like a, a brother to me. Or, you know, like like another family member. Uh, but you know, basketball was was my first love, and uh, I had an opportunity when I was in Miami. Uh, uh, to join forces with, uh, some people that, uh, actually owned the minor league team in, in Miami at the time. Um uh, you know, we realized that wasn't gonna fly because, uh, you know, the Miami market wasn't really, uh, a, a minor league sports market, uh, you know, per se. There's so much else going on. And, uh, you know, we found an opportunity to bring a team, uh, uh, to Kentucky and, uh, create a team out there. And that was, it was fun for a couple seasons. But, uh, <laughs> uh you know certainly not uh the the most lucrative uh, <laughs> that I've, that I've been a part of uh and then the the other one uh you know the 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 pro volleyball one that was that was a funny one' cause, uh you know it was actually a, a promotional deal uh and uh there was a, a big tournament in uh miami a beach volleyball tournament and they were looking for you know some former athletes to come in and uh uh, you know help promote the event a little bit and uh, you know throughout the whole promotion you know they played it off like I was you know really into uh, you know becoming a professional volleyball player <laughs> <laughs> so so it was actually it was a Cuervo uh, promotion they were you know one of the sponsors of, of the team and you know, they brought me out the day before the tournament to to work with the uh, w- with my teammates uh, in two two on two volleyball. Uh, you know, I was I was about uh, you know two or three years of uh, 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 post retirement, and you know I was out of shape at the time. But uh, <laughs> I'll tell you what, it was it was it was really fun getting out there and uh, you know having fun uh, you know on the beach playing playing volleyball. And we almost won won our first match. And, uh, yeah, it was, it, 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 it was really a great time, but that uh, that promotion got a lot of legs because you know they really played it off like I was. Uh uh you know, trying to become a professional volleyball player.
1: Nobody has better stories in this world than Journeyman quarterbacks. And I tell you it what. holds true every time. Uh Jay, this has been super fun and it always pays off to have one of Sage's random ex teammates on the air. So great job and uh great to have you on. Thanks. I, I hope we can catch up again. Maybe when the Dolphins find a quarterback. <laughs> we can talk about it. <laughs>
5: Sounds good. It was great talking to you
1: guys. All right. Thanks again, Jay. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back here.
3: You're listening to Purple Daily on Score North. Jonathan here with the Score North download. We'll make it a quick one. We'll remind you of something we're doing this Friday. ESPN's College Game Day is coming to Minneapolis this Saturday for what might be the biggest college football game in Minnesota history. A battle for the Axe and a trip to the Big Ten championship game is all on the line. So this Friday, you can join Mackie and Judd with Rami for a game day sign making party at Blarney Pub and Grill in Dinkytown this Friday from 3 to 6 p.m. Score North will supply the sign making materials. All you have to do is supply the funny. That's this Friday from 3 to 6 p.m. at Blarney in Dinkytown. That's been your Score North download. Now back to Purple Daily.
1: All right, welcome back here to Purple Daily. Uh, Matthew Collar and former NFL quarterback Sage Rosenfeld. Sage, I want to get into um, the way that quarterback play is changing in the NFL now because I saw a stat from the undefeated that all of the top quarterbacks in QBR, which is that ESPN-invented stat that tries to weigh game situation and, and things like that, All of them are currently quarterbacks who are athletic, dynamic, can do other things um, beyond just throwing the football like Russell Wilson, Lamar Jackson, and and so forth, Deshaun Watson, Patrick Mahomes, and I'm curious from your perspective if you think that and Russell Wilson falls into this category as the Seahawks are going to play the Vikings next Monday, Um, if you think that the way we evaluate quarterbacks is going to change in the NFL, I, I know from my perspective, being a video game player early in life, there was nobody that was more fun to pick and play with than... Randall Cunningham, and then of course Michael Vick comes along and every kid had the Michael Vick rule where on Madden 04 you were not allowed to pick Michael Vick to play against your buddies because he would just dominate so much, and uh, I always thought Boy, it amazes me that more amazing athletes aren't being put in these positions where they can run because there's value there. And now I think the NFL has to look itself in the mirror after being so wrong so many times, letting Lamar Jackson drop, letting Russell Wilson drop, letting Dak Prescott drop. I, I think that this has to change, right? The way that NFL teams look at the quarterback position going forward.
6: If the NFL, if, if you're an NFL team, and I'm talking like even the Patriots who have Tom Brady uh, and have always done this more traditional style of offense, but if you're not looking forward, uh, which is really right now, but looking forward for your franchise and saying, you know, can we win with somebody that's not just your classic pocket passer? Uh, because those guys have been getting drafted, you know, pretty high for a long time and right now having not as much success. If you go through the sort of the power rankings of quarterbacks, got Russell Wilson number one, Lamar Jackson number two, Patrick Mahomes number three, Dak Prescott four, Aaron Rodgers, Deshaun Watson. Those are your first six. And actually, interesting, Kirk Cousins, uh, the NFL has as number seven, who is the first one that you would c- call a really a pure pocket passer. Yeah. The other guys, including Aaron Rodgers, you know, great throwers, all right, and and of all the throwers, you'd probably say Lamar Jackson might be the worst of them all, but some great throwers in there, but guys that can also make plays with their feet. And it's because I think, you know, defenses are so good, the D-lines are so good, and you have to have a quarterback that can buy a little bit of time. But also is a good you know thrower down the field, and obviously Russell Wilson probably the best deep ball thrower in the NFL. He rarely misses guys that are open, uh, and he's a tremendous athlete. Uh, and you know Patrick Mahomes, unbelievable athlete. My concern for him is sort of longevity because he's not a huge guy, uh, but he has you know obviously the crazy arm that he has. And, you know Dak Prescott has done a fantastic job this year, uh, and again a good athlete. He can run the ball a little bit. Aaron Rodgers, Deshaun Watson's always running around and making plays. But these guys bring a different skill set to the table. And I think one of those, you know, big things is like third downs. Third downs, these guys, mm-hmm. have, you know, find a way to get to first downs. When the red zone, these guys find a way to score touchdowns because they can also use their feet and, and do, do extra special things. So at those sort of crunch moment times in the football game, These guys are at their best. It's because they can throw, and they're good athletes.
1: And and mobility isn't new in terms of being valuable. John Elway and Steve Young were two of the great athletes when when I was growing up, and they could run. And there were years where John Elway was the top runner for the Denver Broncos. Kind of reminds me of how uh, Russell Wilson at times has to do it all uh, to carry his team, especially in, in years past when they haven't had the greatest offensive lines. But it seems to have changed to where now... There are some games where the quarterback is the best athlete on the field, and that does not happen very often. I think part of the value of this Sage that's gone up so much is also because of the defensive ends and defensive tackles that we have in the NFL now. like Someone like John Randall was totally unique for his time. A guy who was a three-technique that was undersized and could get to the passer and blow through people. Now I think half the teams in the league have a three-technique who's like John Randall. And the defensive ends are just outrageous. And I'm watching the college game the other day between Ohio State and Penn State watching Chase Young. Like, okay, well that guy's going to murder everyone next year, right? <laughs> I, I mean, the there are half the teams or more in the league that have elite players, elite talents that are putting up 10 to 15 sacks, constant pressures. The Vikings have two of these guys. And that escapability, uh, I, I think, is becoming more and more valuable, even though you know someone like Mahomes isn't going to run for 20 or 30 yards uh, very often, but being able to extend plays when your protection breaks down because it's very hard to sustain great protection against these teams with amazing defensive lines.
6: Well, yes, and and the difference between, you know, I watch college film. Like, I watch Iowa State every week, and I'm watching their their film. Uh, There's a lot of times their quarterback is back there, you know, four, five, six seconds, you know, and you see a lot of these college quarterbacks, you know, hitch, 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 hitch. They're just sort of hanging out back there. Mm-hmm. Uh, the NFL game is so much faster. Uh, and you know what? It's linebacker, safety's corner, the receivers, everyone's faster, but the D linemen are so much better. And in college, you got a lot of guys who are, you know, these sort of raw talents. They come in, they're 18 years old, they're only, you know, 210 pounds, but by the time they leave, they're 270 and they still run a, you know, four four five forty, 40, right? Um, you know, so there's this development that goes on in college. So there's, there's just few and there's, you know, hundred and, 20 college football teams. So there's fewer of these sort of, uh, you know, the freak athletes are sort of, uh, you know, peppered here and there. on, you know, a couple. Obviously, Ohio State's got some, and then Alabama has some. But teams don't all have great defensive ends. In the NFL, all the teams have good defensive ends, and a lot of teams have at least one great, if not as the Vikings have two really good ones. I almost put Daniel Hunter as great at this point, but two really good guys because then they can play for 10 years too. 32 right. teams, right. fewer teams, can play for 10 years or 12 years years or 14 years so you got guys so there's just the elite of the elite uh you know end up at that position so it makes it harder and harder in some ways to throw the football and so i think these guys we are talking about these more athletic guys um uh, they again this capability they help with these great pass rushers or whatever but also as we saw you know the other night with uh with lamar jackson uh, on monday night football uh he threw for 169 yards and they destroyed uh, you know the, the, their opponent that the LA Rams that night. Yep, uh, he didn't throw for four hundred. You know, we're, everyone's talking Tuesday morning. Everyone's talking about Lamar Jackson. You turn on everything uh, ESPN and get up, and they're you know breaking down Lamar Jackson. And he threw for 169 yards. That'd be like a terrible game for for a lot of quarterbacks. But it's the value he adds because he, he ran for you know 90 yards or something like that. And they also run the ball a lot more. But he also hits those guys because he has sort of an advantage uh, with, with the way defenses have to play him. They have to play him different. They can't play him to sort of protect the pass. They have to stop the run first, which then gives you advantages uh, in the passing game with a lot of one-on-ones on the outside or uh, where teams are trying to play zone coverage against him. Uh, because if you play man and he runs, man, there's nobody there. And you saw that on Monday Night Football. There's nobody there. So it's hard to play man-to-man against these teams, right? And so, uh, you know, they are, it's, a, it's a different style of football, but it looks like to me in, in 2019, It's a winning style of football, and that's all that really matters.
1: Yeah, no, I I totally agree, and over the next five to seven years, I think we will see truly the sea change, but also we're going to see some pretty darn good quarterback play, and uh, going from your Manning-Brady era and your Roethlisberger era and your Breeze era to this new one, uh, I think is kind of like the NBA going to three-point shooting all the time. It's that big of a change in how we look at this position, but here we have Kirk. Cousin Sage, and when you look at the uh... well, can I say that real quick
6: though? So I feel like you know, for years basketball has gone to. If you look at the shot clock or shot charts, it's layups and three pointers, yes, right? Yes. It's all this drive, either around the rim or you shoot because that's what the the numbers say of percentages, and you know, the it's, it's not worth it to take an eighteen foot jump shot anymore because the, the your number the percentages go down, blah blah blah. But then you have the 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 you know the the um, Kawhi Leonard's of the world. Who they love that mid range game? Yes, you know everyone else is doing it, so you know they know I'm going to go to the rim. I'm going to stop here at twelve feet and take this mid range shot. So sometimes it's the the player or the team who is you know one step ahead of whatever everybody else is currently doing. And, and I think with the NFL, maybe defenses have gotten a little bit in some ways, you know, quicker and smaller, and and because they're trying to. Uh, uh, cover the field with the RPOs and all the things, and be able to run with uh, with tight ends and things as linebackers. So now it's not. necessarily like, let's get big, and, and st-. we're looking for pass rushers. We're looking for guys who can get up the field. Well, if you're trying to st- that's when you when you have a run offense, that's like being one step ahead of that because now we can be a little bit bigger and sort of pounding the ground and, and win, win that sort of four or five yards in the cloud of dust style of football.
1: Well, and that's what I was going to ask Sage is just with Cousins. I mean, he's clearly not. A Russell Wilson or Lamar Jackson uh, in any way, shape, or form. He is the complete opposite if you've ever seen him run. Um, uh, but yet he's number 1 in the NFL in quarterback rating, and we have given a lot of credit, deservedly so, to Kevin Stefanski and Gary Kubiak and what they've gotten out of him. But I think what Kirk Cousins shows us, and this goes for Drew Brees too, is that if you have the right system, the right coach, and very very good accuracy. If you are a great thrower of the football, like that's always going to work. And then you put the supporting cast around Kirk Cousins. That's what he's going to need to succeed. My question would be: If you have Deshaun Watson, he can overcome pretty much anything. I mean, they've had their left tackle get hurt and bad offensive lines in the past, and Watson can make plays. We've seen well.
6: They overcome Watson's own sacks. I mean, he was sacked like 60 times last year. Yeah. Incredible number for a guy who's athletic. But he he, holds on to the ball, gets sacked, but then also will hold on to the ball the next time and... You know, create a, a get a third and fifteen because he'll buy time and scramble and someone will find a soft spot in his own defense and yep. boom, first down the Vikings third and fifteen is like, uh just let's just, you know, screen it, draw, let's, you know, maybe quick game. Let's not make it worse than we've already sort of lost the drive because right. we lost in the first two downs. But some guys like, you know, Deshaun Watson and uh, Russell Wilson, those guys can buy time. That's that's not Kirk's specialty, but he's a great executor yeah. of a well old machine.
1: I wonder if Sam, like uh, a Sam Bradford, would have done well in this offense. Totally. 100%, because he had a great deep ball and he could execute anything. And from everyone I've talked to about Bradford, he had the same sort of detailed work ethic and things like that of Kirk Cousins. But I think when you have a Bradford or a Cousins, you're sort of. Um, walking a tightrope, where you have to have a lot of things line up for it to work, because it's going to be very difficult to overcome things. Say your offensive coordinator isn't the right guy, like last year. Say your left guard isn't very good, like last year. Say your number three receiver isn't good. And you don't have a number two tight end. Then you miss the playoffs, right? Even if you have a top five defense like the Vikings did last year. And I think that's that's what makes it very difficult for the Vikings as they go forward in the future. Are you going to be able to sustain the supporting cast? Stefanski gets a head coaching job. How are you going to replace him? Is it going to be with the right guy? Like that's where that balance becomes very difficult. Where if you have Russell Wilson, like yeah, a lot went wrong this year and whoops we won 10 games anyway
6: yeah you know that that is absolutely correct you know just like the baltimore ravens have the perfect coordinator uh um greg roman who was again the tide rod taylor and uh in buffalo when he had his actually pretty good season and also uh colin kaepernick's coordinator in san francisco when they were going to championship games in the super bowl they have the perfect guy for that well the, the minnesota vikings have the perfect coaching staff it looks like for Kirk Cousins, and you know that is the question: is you know what would happen if Stephanski gets to the court? These are off-season questions, really. But you know what would happen uh, if Stephanski gets a job, or and or Gary Kubiak, in, in that situation, do they would they both is, is Kubiak interested in being a head coach anymore? Or is he just sort of satisfied? He said he's not. Not so, yeah. But so that's what I they mean, all maybe say, he, right? Does he dive into like, well, I'll be the coordinator? He based, you know he was. Sort of whatever co-coordinator and whatever it is this year, what he actually is or whatever. So you know, would the Vikings have some sort of plan? Uh, they better because this coaching staff, this offensive coaching staff, uh, and Rick Dennison included, have done a phenomenal job of uh, you know maximizing Kirk Cousins's strengths and trying to minimize his weaknesses. And I, I was just watching this NFL Network they're doing this with the 100 greatest players of all time and yeah, yep. it's Belichick and Collinsworth and Rich Eisen I've only seen bits and pieces but I saw a clip of it and Belichick's talking about uh, the art of war, that book The Art of War of, of minimi- you know, attacking someone else's weaknesses and mm-hmm. maximizing your own strengths and I think the Vikings have done that with their quarterback which is a, is a great way to go because again I've always thought if you can try to make an offense that's as easy for your quarterback as possible and, and, and uh, maximize his strengths, that's what you're looking to do and, and the Vikings are doing that with this style uh, with Kirk Cousins. And I also Who, think who's doing, a, who's doing a very very good job. He is, yes, yes. Uh, you know, within executing this offense and and not trying to do too much.
1: As an aside, I think that's why this year becomes. So important to win to get where you want to go because how many times is everything going to align the way that it has? We would have thought after 2017, oh, this will be easy. It'll be right back to the NFC Championship game. They've got a better quarterback now, and we see how maybe you thought that. I didn't think no. Well, I didn't think (laughs) that necessarily. But they talked that way. I mean, they said like, oh, this guy is the final piece, and they're just going to pick up where they left off. But we see how fine the line can be when you have a quarterback that needs everything to be perfectly in place and then when it is he can be magnificent and yeah has when, been this year.
6: when things are there and and you know we we you watch those two bootlegs uh from the game against denver a couple of weeks ago you know the the first one it's actually it's a shotgun i think they're both shotgun bootlegs at least one of the first one was yes, a shotgun yeah. bootleg i believe Roll into his left, you know, as, think about the history of your thought about quarterbacks, you know, right-handed quarterbacks roll to your left. That's hard to do, right? Yeah. Uh, but it's actually not because to throw, you have to sort of flip your hips around, which actually then when you, when you throw, it gives you a little bit more torque to really heave the ball further down the field. Uh, and the, um, the, the, the free safety comes up on that crossing route, which opens up then Stefan Diggs for a, for a post route on the backside and, and Kirk Cousins, what he did that was special was make a perfectly accurate throw. Yes. But before that, he didn't have to do anything special, right? And he went through his reads. He made the right read. He made a perfect throw, touchdown. The next one, uh, they I think believe it's under center on this one. They fake a handoff to the right. Kirk comes around to the left. He's got tons of time, and there's one defender there, and then there's Kyle Rudolph streaking across the field because the guy that was guarding him in man-to-man coverage played the run, and, and his eyes came off of Rudy, and so no one's on Rudy. So there's this guy either had to come up on Kirk or he had to drop back on Rudy, and he sort of played it in the middle, and Kirk, being a, again, another nice throw over the guy's head wide open for like a 36-yard touchdown. The quarterback didn't have to do anything really special other than execute his job. And mm-hmm. the second throw was extremely easy. The first throw, not an easy throw, but he, he made it look easy. It was a very, very accurate, perfect throw. But it was because of all the other pieces, uh, the blockers, the running game, the detail, uh, all of that, You know, the, the routes, all of that was, was, was a well-executed old machine. And to me, that's, that's coaching. That's Kevin Stefanski. That's Gary Kubiak. That's Rick Dennison. All working together to to oil that machine up and and have it to where the quarterback just has to execute and not make magic happen to throw the ball down the field like that. Again, I watch all these Bears games. You never see anybody open. <laughs> you never see anybody wide open. I love it, that the particular. Bears
1: are driving you crazy. Oh,
6: it's just you know. But <laughs> I have to. This, you know, I guess that's my gig, right? But I watch the Bears uh, on Tuesday mornings, and and uh, I just watch their offense and. Uh, you know, they they got, you know, Trubisky's not a great pocket passer, and they're, they're asking him to do that time, you know, 45 times a game and, and these things. And then every once in a while, they'll just go under center and run a bootleg. And it's like, you don't even try to run the ball under center, but then they try to do bootleg stuff off it that doesn't even look like the runs. And there's just sort of no, um, Uh, You know, we do this, you guys do that, and so we're going to do this to counter that. They don't do that. They just, it's like they're out there running plays, and so it's great watching Vikings games because you can sort of see the run and and then the sort of setup, whether it's play action, the bootleg, that maybe looked like a run from earlier in the game.
1: Yeah, and I think the biggest evidence in my mind of the success of the coaching staff is that the Vikings are graded by PFF as having the 24th ranked pass blocking, just grading the individual players, and yet Cousins has only been sacked 22 times, and they've reduced the amount of pressure on him, I think that that's just purely coaching your way to getting Kirk Cousins the time that he needs. Uh, so
6: not only by maximizing uh, Kirk's uh, strengths and minimizing his weaknesses, but also your offensive line, also your wide receivers, also your running back. Yes. You, know, you have a running back that if you could get him in space, he can take one to the house. Well, you know, run a lot of screens with him you know do things like that get him the ball to where he might have a little bit of room in front of him you know to to go or or in the game a couple weeks ago um against uh Denver to you know, realizing the inside zone is not working well, so we're going to do everything outside. We're going to be tossing outside. We're going to be stretching it outside. That is great coaching, and to make those adjustments uh, to then have and have success with those adjustments, to me, that's great coaching. I, yep. I, I really do like this Vikings offensive staff.
1: Yeah, and not only that, uh, but I wrote about it at ScoreNorth.com. Uh, you can see it there for free website um, about the way that they made up for Adam Thielen being able to spread the ball around, getting Irv Smith involved, getting Ola B.C. Johnson involved, getting Kyle Rudolph involved. Uh, I I thought that was uh, really another sign of why Kevin Stefanski won't be here after <laughs> this year because of the job that uh, he's done to build them up to where they are now and next Monday when you and I get together again Sage guess what we will be able to go into full pre-game breakdown mode so grind your tape over the next few days I know you're going away for Thanksgiving but I need you on the side with the iPad like uh, the quarterbacks on the sideline looking at the pictures and stuff I need that to be you at the Thanksgiving table so uh, we're ready for next Monday.
6: Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. By the way, speaking of that, I, I saw a great tweet this morning. It's like, you know, I see all these coaches on the sidelines with these uh, Microsoft surfaces looking at the videos. Nice I see Bill, Bill Belichick with a pencil and a little piece of paper. You know, <laughs> <laughs> and then he's the greatest coach of all time. So uh, it's going to be a great game this weekend, and it's, it's going to be a playoff style game. It's almost like a half playoff game. Uh, It should be a fantastic one. I really can't wait to see this matchup against Seattle.
1: Alright, very fun stuff today. Sage, if you missed any of it, make sure you go download the podcast version. Wherever you get your podcast. just type in Purple Daily and you will find us, Sage, on every Monday and Wednesday. Sage, thanks for your time and uh, we will catch you next week. That's right, we're off for Thursday and Friday, so we'll hand the ball over to Mackie and Judd with Rami and the next time we talk, we'll be again Game day for the Minnesota Vikings against Seattle, so we will catch you then on Purple Day.
0: This holiday, whether you're making a Baker's Simple Truth turkey for 40 or a Murray's baked brie for two, Baker's has fast fresh delivery and free pickup so you can make holiday meals that bring you all together to create memories that last. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply.
2: Get more ways to save at the buy five or more, save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Bakers, fresh for everyone.
0: This holiday season, Peloton's got a gift for you. Get up to $200 off accessories with the purchase of a Peloton bike, Bike Plus, or Tread. And take your workout to the next level with accessories like non-slip grip dumbbells, a heart rate monitor, cycling shoes, and more. Peloton, motivation that moves you. This limited time offer ends December 25th.